Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Common Room Talk. My name's Tony, and I'm your host. Now, last week, we finished chapter 11, which was the Quidditch chapter. We had seen a lot inside of that. We've seen Quidditch played the first time. We really get a good look of Harry on his broomstick. We get some good character development as we see protagonists or potential protagonists. We see heroes. We see people just cheering, people booing, and just all this fun stuff that comes up with Quidditch. We also see a good bit more from Hagrid in just the way that he is a little loose with his lips in the sense of not really good at keeping information to himself. And we actually see at the end of the chapter that Hagrid lets slip some information that he doesn't mean to in regards to Fluffy, the three-headed dog that resembles Severus from Greek mythology. And that whole situation in regards to why Fluffy's there, what he's doing, and he lets slip that what that all is concerned with is between Professor Dumbledore and Nicholas Flamel. And we're going to get a good look at Nicholas Flamel later on in this book because uh, he is somebody that I have been very enthralled with throughout just my time through the Harry Potter series. I've dug deep into just history and lore about the Flamels, and I'm really excited to get to talk about that later on in the book. But it is really cool that we got to meet him Essentially, here, he was talked about once before, but here we see that he's involved with Professor Dumbledore in regards to whatever Fluffy is doing here, and the suspicion of Snape trying to, one, kill Harry, and two, get past the three-headed dog named Fluffy. There was a lot that kind of came together inside of just this last chapter, and a little bit of the chapter before in Halloween. But it is really cool to slowly see these things being pieced together because you, even in the reader's mind, you start to kind of tally out what is happening, what it looks like is going to happen. You start making your own suspicions. You start drawing your own conclusions and you start suspecting people of certain things. And yeah, it's just really good. And for a kid's book, it, it gets very in-depth it, the more you read into it, the more you're going to get out of it. We also saw last week some really, I think, extreme choices made by Hermione in setting her teacher on fire. One of the things I, I kind of pointed out was just how crazy that was. But the thing that I really wanted to point out inside of all of that was for somebody who is so smart, why just jump to the extreme decision to set your teacher on fire like that's that's out there for me I don't understand why you would go to that and again these are teenagers they we've talked about how Harry has had some wild ideas already being a preteen boy in just the way his mind works and it's all done obviously in humor but this one from Hermione who is just extremely intelligent being able to understand everything that she's read, memorizing these books, memorizing these spells, being able to do them, constantly being told she's the top of her class. It's just crazy to me that she would jump to that immediate conclusion of, I have to set this teacher on fire to stop them. And I mean, it's, it's great. Like she unknowingly did save, well, to her knowingly, but we're just going to say she saved Harry's life. I'm not going to make it more complicated than that. 
but she saved his life. And obviously there is no risk probably outside of risking her own life that is too great to take when it comes to saving someone's life. But that's really where we left off with Quidditch. It was really cool getting to see Quidditch. It's probably one of my favorite aspects of the entire series. I love any and all of the Quidditch scenes. I can't wait to go through Quidditch through the ages with the podcast and talking about that and just incorporating it in to the later books when we are talking about Quidditch more in depth. In different news, though, something really exciting. Yesterday, we were out shopping and came to Target where we bought a Harry Potter Funko Pop advent calendar and i'm super excited but i have to wait until december to start opening it i really want to open it now but it is amazing to look at and i love seeing all of the different holiday harry potter stuff that comes out whether it's like the 12 days of socks for the holiday harry potters or the other types of advent calendar stuff that you get for all harry potter the the holiday harry potter merchandise is amazing to me I love it. I love that I get to also pull out the snow globes and start decorating for Christmas stuff. All, most of our stuff is out. It's not up yet. It will be up soon, probably by the end of this weekend. But some of my favorite parts of my collection are my uh, Harry Potter snow globes. They're not particularly Christmas, but they are snow globes, which means I pull them out for Christmas decorations. Now, in regards to today, we are going to be in chapter 12, The Mirror of Erised. And this is a very long chapter. This one might end up getting broke up into two different parts. And if that's the case, I will find other stuff next week to help kind of keep everything in a timely order. That way it's not too short, not too long. Uh, we'll find a way to balance it out. But this chapter starts right at the end and I know, obviously, it's the start of the chapter. It's going to be right after the end of the last chapter. But we do see that we go from Hagrid letting slip about Nicholas Flamel, where Harry says, aha, so there is someone called Nicholas Flamel involved, isn't there? And then Hagrid's upset with himself, to the next chapter where we do see some sort of jump of time here. It says Christmas was coming one morning in mid-December. So a few weeks have passed at this point, and we're looking at winter conditions. Hogwarts woke to find itself covered in several feet of snow. The The lake is frozen, and this is, I thought, amazing. I don't know if you've ever picked up on this before, but this next sentence, I'm going to read it word for word, because when you understand what this means, it is extremely funny to think about. The lake was froze solid, and the Weasley twins were punished for bewitching several snowballs so that they followed Quirrell around. This is Professor Quirrell. Followed Quirrell around, bouncing off the back of his turban. For any of us who have finished this book or movie, think about what is behind that turban. And think about what Fred and George are doing with these snowballs. They are probably the only two ever in the history of any of this situation and who is involved to get 
away with this. And it is so funny to me. And I, I have to be vague for now for just anybody who might not know what is going on in this whole situation. But the Weasley twins were essentially bewitching snowballs to be thrown at the back of Professor Quarrel's head, bouncing off the back of his turban. And it's so funny to me. Then we get a good, just scenic description of the castle itself, for at least the interior parts. It's cold. The common rooms and the great halls had these giant roaring fires going, but the corridors themselves are drafty. It was almost icy and bitter to be in those, but it was obviously nice and welcoming in the common rooms and the great hall. But down in the dungeons, which is where Potion's class was with Snape, they could see their breath in front of them as they were breathing. So it is very cold down in the dungeons. Next we see Draco Malfoy kind of just now poking fun. with. This is kind of what we see him really go to a lot with his teasing and his poking, which is trying to be little people for poverty or for being unwanted, or for their families, which all obviously are very much low blows, but he says that he feels sorry for people who have to stay at Hogwarts for Christmas. And he finishes it up with, because they're not wanted at home. And it says that he was looking over at Harry as he spoke, and Crabbe and Goyle were standing with him, and they were just laughing about it. And Harry's sitting here trying to measure out Spine of Lionfish and ignore them at the same time. And it says that Malfoy has been just really unpleasant since the Quidditch match. He was disgusted that Slytherin had lost and that he was doing everything he could to get everyone laughing at how a wide mouth tree frog would be replacing Harry as the next seeker. But nobody really found that funny because they were really impressed with the way that Harry had played and the way that he had managed to stay on his broomstick, which was trying to throw him off, and how he ultimately just finished the match. And so they weren't finding what Malfoy had to say funny by any means. And so Malfoy, who was then jealous and angry, had gone back to just making fun of Harry for having no proper family, which is just terrible. I... I don't ever condone that. Obviously, bullying is an issue that is throughout this entire series, and I think it's not done in an encouraging way. You really get to see how people are affected by this, and it's something that we will talk about throughout the entire series. This isn't going to be a thing that we're just like, oh yeah, Malfoy's bullying again. No, like this is not okay, and don't ever do this, especially in regards to family. I think that had it been somebody else, which we do see later on in the series, which I'm going to say this because we'll forget about it by the time we get to it, but we'll see Neville is made fun of in that sense with his family, and he does not handle it like Harry does. Harry does, I think, for the most part, handle it wonderfully, keeping it in and not lowering to Malfoy's standards. Um, Neville... Um, and rightfully so. Like I'm not saying that it's not okay to not defend yourself verbally or physically. And I know that's a very, very fine line to walk when you're going through those things. But Neville does retaliate. And when you know what's wrong with Neville's family, not wrong, when you know what has happened to Neville's family, you can understand why he would do what he does. And just this entire 
situation, don't bully. It's not okay. If you're listening to this and you are the recipient of being bullied, that's me. I was there. I was bullied in school. I know exactly how it feels. It's not fun. Don't be that person. And if you do find yourself being the bully, knock it off, dude. It's not cool. Nobody likes it and nobody likes a bully. So don't do it. I hope that anybody who's listening to this isn't a bully, whether that's verbally, physically, or even just online. Nobody likes online bullies either. And that's enough on my bullying soapbox. Just don't do it. But Malfoy goes back to bullying Harry about his family. And it continues on saying that it's true Harry was staying for Christmas. He didn't want to go back to Privet Drive Professor McGonagall had come around just the week before and she was making lists of who would be staying for the holidays and Harry had signed up at once. He didn't feel sorry for himself at all. This was probably going to be the best Christmas he had ever had. And he also found out too that Ron and his brothers were staying. Mr. and Mrs. Weasley were going to Romania to visit Charlie. I could not think outside of just being with my wife a better place to be for Christmas, like at Hogwarts in this castle, just being in a castle in general with a huge blazing fire, several feet of snow outside, like thinking of the warm, cozy common room and just what we know about it, things that we have heard, the way that we have been able to picture it, that would be the ideal place to spend Christmas Eve and Christmas. Cozy, any place where there's a, a roaring fire, there's food, there's so much that is amazing, wholesome, nostalgic, I, whatever words you want to use for the best Christmas you could think of is right there. And I would not envy anyone who had to leave Hogwarts because I think it would be the best place, again, outside of being with my wife, to be for Christmas. Now it says that when they left the dungeons at the end of potions class, uh, there was a large fir tree that was blocking the corridor ahead of them, and there were two enormous feet that were sticking out of the bottom, and a loud puffing sound told them that it was Hagrid who was standing there behind it and holding it, and Ron asks if he needs any help after greeting him, and he says, no, I'm all right, thanks, Ron. I don't know what Ron would be able to do if this thing is being held up and supported and big enough to really blot out enough of Hagrid that they had to tell it was Hagrid by his voice. Don't know what Ron would be able to do, but a voice came from behind them that said, would you mind moving out of the way? It was Malfoy, and he continues on saying, are you trying to earn some extra money, Weasley? Hoping to be gamekeeper yourself when you leave Hogwarts, I suppose. That hut of Hagrid's must seem like a palace compared to what your family's used to. And then we see Ron, who does give in to the bullying, says that he dived at Malfoy just as Snape came up the stairs. We see Snape yell at him. He says, Weasley. And he says, Ron let go of Malfoy's robes. And it was actually Hagrid who spoke up, trying to stand up for Ron. He says he was provoked, Professor Snape. And Hagrid's now sticking his big furry face out from behind the tree. Malfoy was insulting his family. And then this is, again, where you see Snape with his favoritism and just the way he honestly wouldn't care about who he was around, honestly. He says, be that as it may, fighting is against Hogwarts rules, Hagrid. Five points from Gryffindor, Weasley, and be grateful it isn't more. Move along, all of you. That was Snape replying back to Hagrid and then addressing them. 
And Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle pushed roughly past the tree. They scattered needles everywhere, and they were smirking, grinning, just silently laughing at their small victory. Ron is grinding his teeth. He's in frustration. He's angry. He says, I'll get him. One of these days, I'm going to get him. Harry agrees with him. I hate them both, Malfoy and Snape. Then Hagrid says, come on, cheer up. It's nearly Christmas. Tell you what, come with me to see the Great Hall. It looks great. Now, on the left side here, we have a really very detailed portrait of Ron. And he's here wearing a green jumper or sweater, whatever you want to call it. You see his violently red hair, and you can see some of his freckles on his face. He is a a long nose, not long as in like protruding from his face, but long from his eyes down to his nostrils. And it looks like maybe some larger than average size ears is the best way to put it. His eyebrows are kind of disappearing into his hairline. His hair is coming down almost in his eyes itself, covering his entire forehead. So he has long, shaggy hair. And that's really it. It's just a very blank background behind him. You're just getting a good portrait of Ron. And so we continue on. Harry, Ron, and Hermione follow Hagrid off into the Great Hall. He's still carrying this massive Christmas tree where Professor McGonagall and Professor Flitwick actually meet them. They were busy with putting up decorations, and one of them says, Ah, Hagrid, the last tree, put it in the far corner, would you? And, And we see that the Great Hall is decorated for the holidays. It says that there are festoons of holly and mistletoe hung all around the walls and that there were no fewer than 12 towering Christmas trees that stood around the room. And some of them had sparkling tiny icicles and some of them were glittering with hundreds of candles. And so I think that's really cool. You see Christmas. It's here. It's in the Great Hall. It's decorated. And I don't know about the hundreds of candles in the Christmas trees, again, I'm sure that's just a uh, a muggle fear as they probably had some sort of magical flame going on where things would not catch on fire or anything like that. But it is a dream that I would love to see this, to see the Great Hall decorated for Christmas. All of these Christmas trees, all of them glistening with the candles and the mistletoe all over the place. This is, again, as I was saying about the staying at Hogwarts for Christmas earlier, would be a dream. This would be the greatest thing to see at Christmas besides, obviously, again, my wife, and I'm going to continue saying that because there is nothing greater than spending Christmas with my wife and celebrating Jesus and his birth. But yeah, I would love to see the Great Hall decorated. It continues on with Hagrid asking how many days they have left until their holidays, and Hermione answers him by saying just one, and that reminds me, Harry, Ron, we've got half an hour before lunch. We should get to the library. And Hagrid asks him, what are you doing in the library right now? To which they reply, oh, we're not working. We're looking for Nicholas Flamel. And so since Hagrid had mentioned it to him, they are now playing detectives. They're trying to figure out who he is. And Hagrid is shocked. He says, you what? He says, now listen here. I've told you, drop it. It's nothing to you what that dog is guarding and Hermione is the first one to answer she says we just want to know who Nicholas Flamel is that's all unless you'd like to tell us and save us the trouble which is Harry adding that in we've must have been through hundreds of books already and we can't find him anywhere just give us a hint I know I've read his name somewhere we also know that he's read his name somewhere and Hagrid just flatly refuses he says no 
I'm not saying nothing. You just gonna have to find out for ourselves then says ron and they left looking hagrid he's disgruntled and they hurried it off to the library so hagrid again furious with himself and letting slip obviously about nicholas flamel and now we see that the three are playing detective they are wanting to figure out what is going on so it continues by saying that they have actually been searching through a lot of books for Nicholas Flamel's name since Hagrid had let it slip because they wanted to find out what Snape was trying to steal. And so they think, obviously, as one person would conclude, that if they figured out who Nicholas Flamel is, how he might be involved with Dumbledore, then they could probably figure out what the package was that was taken from Gringotts, brought to Hogwarts, that somebody else potentially had gone to Gringotts trying to steal but is now at hogwarts being guarded and why snape was trying to apparently get past fluffy to get whatever this object is and so that's also where they're trying to figure out who nicholas philomel is in the hopes of finding out what this little package is but it says that the trouble was knowing where to begin not knowing what flamel might have done to get himself into a book because he wasn't in a few books that they, they have listed here, which were great wizards of the 20th century or notable magical names of our time and important modern magical discoveries or a study of recent developments in wizardry. And then they were taking into account just the total size of the library. This massive castle obviously had a huge library. We're talking thousands of years of history in these books of magical learning and teaching and i'm sure they probably had their own form of like fiction themselves stories obviously we would look at the tales of beetle the bard being one of those which we find out about way later in the series but we do see that they do have tales that are not just learning they they don't have just instruction though some people look at the tales of beetle the bard of being instructive if you are the right kind of person and of the right mindset to see it for what it is without giving too many spoilers for the the last book. But I'm sure that Hogwarts would have been filled with these kind of books, the library at least. There would have been tons and tons of them. Again, thousands of years probably being packed into this library. And so they had a lot to get through. And also when you think about possible undetectable, I don't think it would need to be undetectable, but the undetectable extension charms. I don't think it would need to be undetectable, but you could end up then making any room inside of Hogwarts potentially as big as you would want. And so you literally could make this an endless library. You could put as many books in here as you could ever want to do. And so that's what they're dealing with. It's just the size and how many books are in there. And... It continues by saying that Hermione took out a list of subjects and titles that she had decided to search while Ron strode off down a row of books. And so they're, they're going through here. Harry's wandering over the restricted section. They're going through the library. They're, they're going in blindly, trying to figure this out. Harry's meandering past the restricted section. They're not allowed in there. And they, they wouldn't be able to find out if Flamel was in there because you needed to have a special signed note from one of the teachers to look in any of the restricted books. And that's not to get into the restricted section, but to look into the restricted books. And so 
you most likely would have a note from the teacher. You would take it to the librarian who were about to find out who that is, and they would then be able to go get the book for you. So you yourselves most likely were not allowed to even just go into the restricted section. And so inside of the restricted section, there were books containing powerful dark magic never taught at Hogwarts and only read by older students studying advanced defense against the dark arts. I don't disagree with having these kind of books there. We do obviously see um, in the last book what that kind of leads to, having those kind of books there. I think having it just as a restricted section that um, is easily infiltrated by very young wizards without, again, spoilers. This is really hard to talk about sometimes without spoiling what's coming. It seems like you would want to have much more security around some of these books and I don't know, it's the whole restricted section. I understand it. There are things that younger students shouldn't be able to learn about. I think that there are things there that should probably be in the headmaster's office only, but that's just me. But Harry's just wandering past the restricted section and he hears, what are you looking for, boy? Harry says, nothing. It was Madam Pence. The librarian banished a feather duster at him. You better get out then. Go on, out. And so Harry's making a beeline out of there, wishing that he would have thought of something quicker to tell the librarian to just maybe have some sort of reason to be in there, to be walking past a restricted section. However, he didn't, and so he's making his way out, and he comes up to Ron and Hermione. They had already agreed that they better not ask Madame Pence where they could find Flamel, and they were sure that she could tell them, but they didn't want to risk Snape hearing what they were up to. They don't want anybody to know that they are on to them, that they are on to Snape. They know the shenanigans that he is getting up to. And so Harry waits outside in the corridor to see if the other two find anything, but he wasn't hopeful. They had been looking for a fortnight after all. So it seems as if now they're taking turns going into the library and... What they really needed was a nice long search without Madame Pence breathing down their necks. So five minutes later, Ron and Hermione joined him, shaking their heads. They went off to lunch. And so, yeah, they're taking turns. They're trying to do everything they can to get through there. Now on their way to lunch, we see Hermione asking Harry and Ron, you guys are going to keep looking while I'm away, won't you? And send me an owl if you find anything. And Ron says, you could ask your parents. If they know who Flamel is, it would be safe to ask them, to which Hermione replies, very safe as they're both dentists. Uh, we know that Hermione is muggle-born, and so they probably would not know anything about Nicholas Flamel. But I will say, as we're going to get into looking at Nicholas Flamel, he was a real person. He really did exist, and so there are muggles that could know about him as he did contribute to modern science. And so maybe in the muggle world, he is somebody that they would have actually heard of. Now we end up seeing boys being boys in this sense of once the holiday started, Ron and Harry were having too good a time to think much about Flamel. And so they were just enjoying themselves and starting to, I wouldn't say procrastinate, but just not even think about whatsoever the 
task that was given them. They don't have Hermione's direction now and her uh, leadership qualities in that sense of directing them and saying, hey, we need to go do this. We need to get on this because I'm sure that if Hermione had been there, they would have probably been staying in line and keeping their nose to the grinder and trying to figure out who Flamel was. However, they're off having a good time, which I am also okay with. It's the holidays. Go have a good time. They had the dormitory to themselves. The common room was much emptier than usual, and so they were able to get some really good armchairs by the fire, and they would sit there by the hour eating anything and everything that they could spear onto a toasting fork. Bread, crumpets, marshmallows, and just plotting ways of getting Malfoy expelled, which were fun to talk about even if they wouldn't work. And again, I've talked about these kind of things before, just the different scenarios that people will play in their heads, just young kids in general. And I remember being a teenager and just thinking of just wild scenarios in which I would come out and be triumphant and the hero of a situation and everyone would want to glorify me and talk about me and exalt me and make me to be this really cool, awesome, powerful, amazing person. And I just, I love seeing these things actually written down on paper and knowing that I'm not just the weirdo who thought those kind of things or thought that way. And for them to be putting it in this way, ways of getting Malfoy expelled, I'm sure everyone at some point in time has had to deal with a bully in school and they have thought, uh, even if it's after an argument or after just some kind of situation where in retrospect, you're like, man, I should have said this or I should have done that. Oh, this would have went over way better. Or man, I bet everyone would have loved to hear me say this. And everyone has those kind of situations. And I think this is probably what is also going on in here of like, man, what could we have done differently to get Malfoy expelled? What could we have done to, to do all of this? And it's just, I like seeing these things. It, this is, it's just fun banter. And I think this is different, obviously, than the bullying, because you don't really see them bully Malfoy. Um, I would say at least try to bully him um, proactively, more reflexively. Um, they usually dish out what Malfoy is giving to them, which again, as I talked about earlier, um, not always good to sink to that level, um, but don't ever just roll over and let somebody bully you in that sense. And I'm not saying that means you go out and fight them or anything like that, but handle the situation properly and responsibly. Um, I think this here is just a good case of um, kids being kids and letting their thoughts run wild and everyone does it. And I am okay with this 100%. Um, it was just fun to talk about these things, even if they wouldn't work. They knew in that sense that it was wild fantasy, that it was just talk, and that it could it ever potentially become something much more than that? Obviously, anything can. Uh, but I think this is just very lighthearted and not something to read too much into. But it says, Ron also started teaching Harry wizard chess, and this is exactly like muggle chess, except the figures were alive, which... That to me would be amazing to just tell. I'm sure obviously now with technology, we could do something like this. It would be so cool to see this, to be able to do what it says. It was like directing troops in battle. And it says that Ron's set was really old and battered, which is, this is a very unique situation because we know how Ron is about old things. He doesn't like hand-me-downs. He doesn't like charity. He doesn't like these things. Yet, he really likes this chess set. His chessmen were old. They were worn. They were old and battered, it says. 
like everything else that he owned, it had once belonged to someone else in his family, in this case, his grandfather. However, old chessmen weren't a drawback at all. Ron knew them so well, he never had trouble getting them to do what he wanted. And so this is really cool. There's a little portrait in the lower right-hand corner of the page. You see two chessmen just sitting here. They look actually really bored, honestly. I feel like I have seen these pictures somewhere before, these depictions. I can't think of where. It's, again, Jim K. illustration here, and he is a genius. He's brilliant. But these are two little figures. They look like they're sitting on thrones. It would be the king and queen, the king sitting in his chair, arms on his armrests, and his posture in his head and his face are all pointing forward towards you, but his eyeballs are pointing over to his left, looking over at the queen, who is sitting here in a very bored position, f everything about her facing forward, except for one hand holding her head up, and her eyeballs are looking straight up, almost as if it's like an eye roll, and it looks like she's holding something in her lap. And now these are, again, just pictures of two of the little stone chest pieces that they would be playing with. And then on the next page, you'd see what looks like maybe um, some sort of like bishop, some maybe uh, a Catholic priest embodiment of a chess piece. He is standing here. He has a, a wide-eyed look. His whole body is facing forward. He's holding a hand signal up, two fingers, which is the ring finger and pinky down, index and middle finger up with the thumb alongside those two. And then on the other hand, it looks like he's holding some sort of, um, I would say, ceremonial staff that you would find in a Catholic church, not out of costume for a Catholic priest to be holding. But again, just a small little chess piece as well. And Harry is playing with Seamus's chess set, but they didn't really trust him. And so he wasn't a very good player yet. And they kept shouting different bits of advice at him. They're telling him to do one thing when he's wanting to do something else. And for him, it was really confusing. They would say things like, don't send me there. Can't you see his knight? Send him. We can afford to lose him. And we don't see that in the movie. In the movie, we, we do see wizard chess being played, but we see Ron yell out knight to e4 and the, the knight would move on its own accord to that spot. And if it was in a position in which it was going to overtake another chess piece, uh, it very violently battered the other chess piece. I, I think one of the, the things that we see in the movie is one of the, the chess pieces that was sitting on a chair or something takes the chair out from underneath it and then beats the other chess piece in half with it. And that's what wizard chess is, but we don't see the pieces actually interacting with the player themselves. And I think that would have been a really cool dynamic to see. And so that takes us to Christmas Eve, where Harry goes to bed looking forward to the next day for the food and the fun, but not expecting any presents at all. I think that's really significant. I think this is something that Harry himself is just used to, not getting things most likely from the Dursleys, and just not having anybody in his life to give him things. And I think that's really cool when you think about the fact that to him, he was expecting to have the best Christmas he had ever have, yet also expecting not to have Christmas presents. That is a very unique mindset to have, and I absolutely love seeing it here in Harry. So when he wakes up early the next morning, the first thing that he saw was a small pile of packages at the foot of his bed. Now, I haven't looked into this yet. I don't know if this is maybe 
uh, an English thing or not, but not putting presents, it seems like, under the tree, but at the foot of the bed. And I think that's something we see throughout the whole series, at least in the book, is that they do have the gifts at the end of their bed. And so if you are uh, an English listener, if you're over in the UK or you just know, please reach out to me, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. I would love to hear why they have their presence at the foot of their bed and not like... Uh, I don't want to say the rest of the world, but at least here in the U.S., we we put our Christmas presents under the Christmas tree, and we come down Christmas morning, and we open up their, our presents there, and I, that's really cool to me. I want to know why. If there's anybody who can tell me that, please, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. No spaces in it. All just one word, commonroomtalk. Email me. Let me know. I would love to know what your guys' thoughts are. If you don't want to email me, then maybe – Talk about it on our Facebook page, Common Room Talk on Facebook or Instagram. Um, Let me know. I would love to hear some insight into this. But he wakes up. There's a small pile of packages at the foot of his bed. And Ron says, Happy Christmas, which this is something I always really enjoy. I would love to adopt saying Happy Christmas, but I also really enjoy Merry Christmas. But Happy Christmas is, is equally okay with me to say. And Ron is sleepily scrambling out of bed. Harry scrambles out of bed. He pulls on his dressing gown. Harry says, you two, will you look at this? I've got presents. And Ron says, what do you expect, turnips? And he's turning to his own pile, which was a lot bigger than Harry's. And I don't think that matters. Harry is just delighted. He has packages. This might be the first time that he ever has any sort of significant gift for Christmas. This is an amazing thing to see. I wish this would have been paid more attention to or given more due diligence in the movies. They do a good job, I think, at least. Harry wakes up and says, I've got presents. And it's it's really cool to see. You see that excitement that he has never got to really experience this before. And that is all of the feels. I absolutely love it. That's all Christmas magic right there. Not saying that it's about the presents, but the joy, this happiness that Harry has for the first time in his life is amazing. And so he picks up the top partial, and it was wrapped in a thick brown paper, and scrawled across it was to Harry from Hagrid, and it was a roughly cut wooden flute, and Hagrid had obviously whittled it himself. Harry blew it, and it sounded a bit like an owl. And I love this. It is a handmade intentionally thought out gift for Harry. Hagrid goes out of his way to make something for Harry, just like he did with the birthday cake without ever really meeting Harry, obviously as a baby, but he goes out of his way to do something wonderful and nice and loving and caring and endearing for Harry. It is an aspect of this story that I will never not love. And then a second small parcel contained a note. We received your message and enclosed your Christmas present from Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia. And sellotaped to the note was a 50 pence piece. And Harry says, that's friendly. Ron was fascinated by the 50 pence. Weird, he said, what a shape is this money? And Harry says, you can keep it. And he's laughing at how Ron was pleased with it and... Hagrid and my aunt and uncle, so who sent these? But really quick, I think that'd be a really interesting conversation to see. So Ron keeps this 50 pence and takes it home and gives it to his dad. I know we haven't met his dad yet, but anyone who's been through the series knows his dad. I think it would have been really cool to see his reaction given that. So I think I know who this is from, said Ron, going a bit pink and pointing to a very lumpy partial. 
My mom. I told her you didn't expect any presents, and oh no. He groaned. She's made you a Weasley jumper. First off, Ron is an amazing friend. Like, he told his mom, without Harry knowing, I don't think Harry is going to be expecting any presents. And he knows his mom. He knows what she was going to do. He knew that something would then come for Harry, because he knows his mom. And this is amazing that he did this for Harry. And how much even like more amazing is Mrs. Weasley doing this? She had only talked to Harry that one time and did this, made something for him. Harry tears open this this partial to find a thick hand-knitted sweater. This is the second handmade thing now given to him. An emerald green and a large box of homemade fudge. This would be one of the greatest presents ever especially if you're hairy. And in this case, um, it's one of those things, even right now, my eyes are getting a little watery thinking about this and thinking about how I would feel if I was in this situation. It's amazing to me. Harry says, that's really nice of her because Ron had said every year she makes us a jumper and Ron's unwrapping his and he never, he doesn't like his. This is always maroon. He doesn't like his. You can see the dynamic here between um, the boy who has nothing in the boy who thinks he has nothing and everything that he gets is not something that he likes yet everything that harry gets is something that he seems to really enjoy he didn't even have a complaint about what the dursley sent him and so i i it's a really unique dynamic i really enjoy exploring that that's something i can't wait to talk about more maybe throughout the entire series so harry only has one package left he picks it up and it's just really light and he unwraps it and something fluid and silvery gray went slithering to the floor where it lay in gleaming folds. Ron gasps. So whatever this is, Harry opens the package and it like fluid comes sliding out and hits the floor. Ron says, I've heard of those. He says this in like a hushed voice and he, he, he drops his box of every flavor beans that he got from Hermione. Is that is that what I think it is? Because they're really rare and really valuable. What is it? Harry picks up the shining silvery cloth off the floor. It was strange to the touch, like water woven into material. And I'm trying to think of like if I have felt anything that is like this, water being woven into material. And the thing, I, the closest thing I can get to would be like silk, like super soft silk and you're like rubbing it in between your fingers that would be like probably the and if there's something better than silk please let me know um but that's the only thing that i can think of is like silk but he says it's like water woven into material and ron says it's an invisibility cloak and there was a look of awe on his face and he continues saying i'm sure it is just try it on and so harry takes the cloak and he throws it around his shoulders and ron gives a yell he says, it is, look down. And so Harry looks down at his feet, but they're gone. And so he dashes over to the mirror, and sure enough, he's looking at his reflection. It's looking back at him, except it's just his head suspended in midair. His body is completely gone. It's invisible. He pulls the cloak over his head, and his reflection completely vanishes. There's nothing left. He's looking at nothing there. And the Ron says, there's a note. A note fell out of it. And so Harry pulls off the cloak, and he sees the letter, written in narrow, loopy writing that he had never seen before were the following words. Your father left this in my possession before he died. It is time it was returned to you. 
use it well. A very Merry Christmas to you. There was no signature. Harry stared at the note. Ron was admiring the cloak. And that's actually where we are going to end this episode. Harry has just gotten probably the greatest asset, arguably, that he is ever going to receive. And even better, it belonged to his dad. Greatest Christmas ever? I would think so, for Harry at least. What an amazing point to stop at. And I know it's very suspenseful. It is kind of leaving you on edge, especially if you've never been through the story before. If you are a movie-only person, there's some really cool things in here as we're going to continue going through this. I am having such a great time going through this entire story. I, I feel like I'm becoming more confident at speaking. I'm getting better at articulating my thoughts. I don't have to go back and edit out a lot of uhs and ums. And the story is just, again, the 75th time for me coming through it is coming alive for me all over again. And so I want to thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys are enjoying this, please go like it, share it, comment on it on Apple Podcast if you're listening there. Written reviews really help get the podcast's word spread so other people can enjoy it as well. If there's anyone in your life that has even just an interest in the series, please share with them. Uh, maybe tell them that the first few episodes aren't as good as these last few episodes as I'm progressively getting better. But thank you guys so much for listening. I really enjoy just interacting with you guys online. We have a lot of new listeners to everyone who is new. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for downloading and just hopefully enjoying this story. And if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, anything whatsoever, if you guys want to have a, a topic discussed or an animal that you would like to have discussed, I do go through some of the magical creatures every few episodes and I would love to hear your guys' requests. So email me, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. My name's Tony. I'm your host, and this is Common Room Talk. <laughs>